Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. It is the Ring Rap One Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Great show today. Tim Haraney stops by to preview Montreal, the Canadian Grand Prix, deep dive onto the track, which he's raced on before. Interesting look at the history of the race, the connection between Canada and the race, and F1, the history. What a Canadian car, we can call it that, in Aston Martin, looks like coming into this weekend. Then Katie George from ESPN, new friend of the show. She's the host of the Unlapped Podcast joins us for an awesome segment we just go around do some news do some big picture topics on f1 really enjoyed this let's get to tim all right tim haraney our buddy tsn f1 specialist a canadian he's in ontario he's taking a 20 minute flight to montreal this week you don't want to just drive you don't want to just <laughs> see what the see what the tire deg is to montreal i think it'd be quite high i'm thinking about uh maybe five hours so tire deg would be very high and I still have my winter tires on because I haven't had a chance to get them taken off yet. So <laughs> I drove through Quebec last <laughs> fall to see Pearl Jam and oh, nice. it's a good it's a good little I went from uh, Quebec City to Ottawa and uh, it's a good little drive. I I really enjoyed it. A lot of countryside. I I think that I walking around Quebec City, I could use an NHL team there. Yeah. It's a real shame. Well, it's like, why don't they just take like the Arizona Coyote? Like, no offense to Arizona, but like, why don't they take one of the t- teams? No offense that- to Arizona. They just they just said they didn't want the team. <laughs> they just voted. They were just like, we don't want the team. Like, we don't I'm have to trying beat to be the nice. Bush. <laughs> we don't have to. Honestly, though, I don't know why they don't put a put a team in Quebec. I think it would do really well. Uh, with it would probably sell out almost every every night for sure. Don't have to. like the junior teams sell out. Yeah, I, I it's it's sad stuff, and they're probably going to move the team to Houston, and we're going to get more aggravated. <sighs> Why don't you move hockey teams where people like hockey the most? A lot yeah. of hockey fans, I'm sure, in Houston, but a lot more in Quebec City on a percentage basis. Let's not. We're not doing hockey relocation. Right. I, I they just heard someone just told me that the town we just moved to is like filled with NHL league office people. So now I can actually like. <laughs> stop these people at Starbucks and just give them a piece of my mind. Um, so that's, that's, that's the next step here is I get, I get a, a cops called on me for trying to, for a, some donut shop, trying to tell people to, uh, to, to move the team to Quebec city. All right. Um, so we're here because you know, Canadian F1 better than anybody, except maybe a Latifi or a stroll. Um, you've raced on the Montreal track before. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us before we get into the nitty gritty on Canadian F1, um, and also, by the way, just a cloud hovering over that we don't have Latifi on the track, on the grid this week. Um, but, um, that, by the way, that was a joke. But, Tim, you like Latifi so much that you're not laughing. Um, the, the listener is laughing, and that's what's important. Uh, what are the characteristics of this track, Tim? 
Uh, well, you know what? It's kind of, it's like a, uh, it's like a go-kart track almost. I mean, I raced here in, uh, Formula Ford. So for those who don't know, it's a junior level of, of racing before graduating into Formula Renault and being a part of that Renault driver development program system. And, um, it's, it's extremely fast. It's extremely technical. There are a lot of slow bits to it, but, for the fast sections, if you take enough, if you take enough risk, you can gain a lot of time. It's one of those types of tracks, but you've got to be willing to, um, commit to a lot of the turns. So especially like, you know, Wall of Champions is kind of like this famous, uh, part of the track. It's the final chicane and you're going to hear a lot about it over the weekend, but that's a particular part of the section that if you commit to that at high enough speed and you, you nail your apex properly in the first section. You kind of got to avoid the apex on the second section, but you're carrying enough speed. The car is going to be a little wiggly, but if you're able to carry enough speed through there, you can, you can gain a ton of lap time. And it's called the wall of champions because, um, back in the day, it actually consumed three driver world champions, uh, in one race. It was Schumacher, Jacques Villeneuve and Damon Hill all in the same way race, um, going into the wall champions and, uh, ending their day. So it's a pretty brave corner. It's, it's awesome. It used to actually say, if I get this correct, I, th I believe it used to read Bienvenue au Quebec. I believe that's what it used to read back in the day. It doesn't, doesn't say that anymore but that's what the wall said when you like pounded it with the front end or something wow how did you do on the uh wall champions uh i never hit it which was great um Boom. i i always uh i had i had an okay formula ford race there and then my formula renault races were, were really good there because like all the f1 teams were kind of watching you at that time you know you had the likes of like your pit stall, you were setting up right beside Ron Dennis and he's like out of the McLaren garage, like looking at all the young drivers and you're kind of there and you're a little bit a part of this Renault driver development thing. And I got to meet Fernando Alonso, um, got to meet uh, and hang out a bit with uh, Nick Heidfeld one year. That was, that was really cool. Like as a, as an 18 year old, you know, you're, yeah, yeah, of course. you're standing beside, you're getting to learn from Nick Heidfeld. It was, it was pretty awesome, man. Like Back in the day, you know, I'm taking you back here. This is probably 2002, 2003, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was um, cool. All right. So Spanners has talked about the 2011 race being the race that, like, if you never, if an alien came down and wanted to see an F1 race, you'd show him Canada 2011. Um, a slightly different question. Yeah. Who has had the best drive? on this track like if we're um, gonna look like you know the one thing about monaco is everyone talks about the great the great laps of monaco watch this to understand the track obviously you have senna you have i mean <laughs> the way max has been uh has had some of those laps you can look at that now um just a little different because the cars are bigger um when you talk about legendary canada performances you start where tim I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't alive for it, but I've seen the video footage. I would say, I think it was 1978, uh, Gilles Villeneuve when he, mm. when he won in Canada, like, cause he's the only Canadian F1 driver who's ever won, like the, the Formula One race here in Canada. Like he's the only one. And I, I would probably say that race sticks out. Uh, for me, only because of obviously being a Canadian and that being such a huge, huge story racing for Ferrari at the time. And I mean, obviously, Ferrari has so much weight that comes with it. Uh, Jean Alesi actually had a really he had a he had a good race here once um, that captured his first victory um, here. And I want to say, don't know, I don't want to put a date on it, but Schumacher had some car issues and Alesi came through in the Ferrari and he captured a win, but on his slowdown lap, he ran out of fuel. Mm. And so he got a ride back to uh pit lane on one of the cars. And he was literally sitting on top of the air box of one of the F1 cars, like motoring down the straightaway, like <laughs> waving to everybody. It was the most bizarre scene I think I've ever seen from uh, at the end of a, of a race. Um, 2011. Yes, I, I would agree. I mean, that, that race was epic. I want to say it was over, it was probably over six hours long. Like, you had so much <laughs> rain and then obviously Jensen Button capturing his first yeah. win or sorry, excuse me. Yeah, I believe that was Jensen's first ever win. And then mm -hmm. getting it over Sebastian Vettel, uh, remarkable stuff. And what else really stands out? I mean, one of the things lately that I've really enjoyed is qualifying here. 
Yeah. And that's because of that uh, risk reward sort of balance that I was mentioning to you just off the top there, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like you get to really see a lot of these drivers, you know, maybe take a little bit too much and they pay the consequences for it. And Kevin Magnuson stands out in the Haas. He took too much of the wall of champions and he had a yeah. huge crash there one year in qualifying. And um it's pretty remarkable when you see drivers like Daniel Ricardo when he was with Red Bull. He absolutely almost pounded the wall of champions on his qualifying run. And that's something that always stood out to me. He had a great run there. Um, but yeah, for me, qualifying has been has been awesome to watch in the past few years at at the Canadian Grand Prix. All right. So there's a, a a Canadian team, Canadian adjacent. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to put this to you. Lawrence Stroll, born in Montreal. Lance, obviously Canadian. Aston, not necessarily associated with Canada. <laughs> I think there's some other countries, some other. I mean, you can. There's a lot of things associated with Aston Martin. James Bond, for instance. A lot of you know uh, uh, European movies. I was just watching The Italian Job a couple weeks ago. It's in there, uh, but no one says, "Hey, that's a Canadian car." Um, but obviously, there's Canadian roots there. Um, is there a buzz because Aston Martin has made this leap and there's Canadians behind it? Yeah, huge. You know, when we saw each other, Kevin, in, at the uh, Miami Grand Prix, like I was, uh, I was running all over my all, all over the place, getting interviews with Aston Martin team personnel, Aston, the, the both the drivers, team principal Mike Crack, and just trying to piece help them help TSN here and piece together massive amounts of Aston Martin like features and essays and uh, uh, stings and montages because I mean I think you know being a Canadian and there being a Canadian owned team is just something that's really special I mean granted if the team wins a race like the constructors anthem is going to be you know from the UK so it's not going to be a Canadian national anthem unless the driver wins but outside of that I mean there's a huge buzz for Aston Martin here um and obviously for good reason like you said you know they're coming in with a really good car it has potential to do a lot I, I mean listening to Fernando Alonso he's been really hyping up the Canadian Grand Prix for a while now and I don't think that's just because it's obviously Lance's home race and obviously Lawrence being the owner, but I think it has a lot to do with, you know, could be a potential upgrade that the team yeah. finally brings to the car. I mean, they really haven't had an upgrade to this thing yet, like a big one, and they're expected to have something here soon. So I'm assuming they're going to be bringing something to the track on um, on Friday for free practice one, free practice two. Um, and that would be great, obviously. This is a type of track I think is really going to favor them as well. Uh, the, I think it's going to favor Ferrari too, but for for the main point of the conversation, I think Aston Martin's got a good chance of um, maybe maybe crack capturing another podium here this weekend. Let me tell you something. I res- recently listened to a podcast uh, with Mark Webber where they were talking about an Australian GP where they basically did a second podium ceremony just to play the Australian national anthem because they had done so well um yeah. even though it wasn't the official podium thing if aston martin wins this race we'll just do a second podium with <laughs> canada that's what we're gonna do we're gonna arrange it i'm not even gonna be there but i'm just gonna tweet i'm gonna tweet at f1 until they do it we'll do a second unofficial one with O canada it'll be like before the hockey playoffs where they just have the crowd sing it it'll just be fine I'll be awesome. Like Lance, so like so like one year. So I think it was. I want to say it was 2017. Lance captured um, points, and there were his first ever points. And there, there were the fans were on the straightaway, and the the race had ended. The race had been over for about an hour, and the fans were still hanging out on the start finish straightaway. They were chanting and everything, and you know, Lance was told like, "Hey, like there's a ton of fans out there, you know, chanting your name and." You know, I think they want to see you. So he ran from hospitality, went through the garages, and he was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people here. So they gave him a Canadian flag. He went up, he climbed the fence. He went through one of the photographer holes and climbed through there, and he started, like, waving. And there's a great, there was a great photo of him, like, cheering on with the fans and the Canadian flag and stuff. It was, it was pretty cool. But the Canadian fans, you know, like you said, you know, they're hardcore here. Um, our the viewership ratings are through the roof. Um and everyone loves Aston Martin and Lance Stroll, but everybody loves Ferrari, man. They love yep. Ferrari here. This is a, this is a, it's weird, man. It's like Canada's like a Ferrari country, man. It's, it's something. 
So, all right, let's unpack this. So, would you say that F1, and obviously, I don't think a lot of people think about F1 in Canada, and and obviously, there's a ton of history there, more so uh, in Montreal than any other mm-hmm. American, than any American city, not any other American city, any American city, um, because of the 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 USGP has moved around so much. Um, is it the dominant motorsport by far in Canada, yeah. and kind of what's the relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, in terms of of racing, like we have our own like NASCAR series up here, yeah. um, but it still doesn't go anywhere close to to F one in terms of viewership or attendance. The IndyCar race that they have here in Toronto, it does it does really well. I mean, especially last year, but I think that's all because of the drive to survive sort of thing and you know, how we're getting so many new fans sort of coming in and that's kind of dispersing those, they're finding other things, right? And so the IndyCar race in Toronto actually has become a very big race, but the Canadian Grand Prix, man, is just, it's huge. Like we're we're talking, they're getting close to 400,000 people for the weekend. Getting onto the island and getting off are two different stories. I mean, like getting onto (laughs) the island, dude, getting onto the island is like super easy. If you yeah. if you have that F one sticker, you can get through the crowd and everything, no problem. But getting off, man, like it, it, it's not a long drive. I want to say maybe a couple miles take you a couple hours to drive out of there after the end of the race. And we're talking like the race has been over for two hours. Like it's it's packed. Like it, it, it there is billboards everywhere, especially in Quebec, obviously, but same here in Toronto. Like there's there's billboards down the highway promoting the Canadian Grand Prix. Same with the, some of the drivers. Some of the drivers sometimes come to Toronto before they even go to um, before they even go to Montreal. Like there, are, a few of them are in New York now, and some of them come up to here to do either watch events or they do other personal sponsor events um, because a lot of the the head offices for these companies are here in Toronto as well. So it's uh, it it's a big event for our our country, uh, Kevin. And I mean, I would say it's probably the biggest now in our country for sure. No, no question about it. I agree that some of the drivers are in New York because, uh, I almost had one of them on the podcast and I didn't agree to their ground rules. Um, (laughs) anyway, anyway, happens. No big deal. I'll get, I can get drivers at, at another time. Um, it all, it all came together kind of late and whatever. And this is, this is a very complicated industry. Um, Anyway, um, so I guess big picture, is there any, for, for a, from a track perspective, is there any reason to think Max won't win this race from, from a upgrade perspective, as you mentioned, from a track perspective, from a vibes perspective, from a travel perspective? I don't even know. Like, um, you know this race better than anybody. Is there any reason to say, hey, wait a second, not so fast. There's, there's a chance here. No, I honestly, I don't, I don't see it. It's, it's going to be extremely, (laughs) it'll be extremely difficult to be perfectly honest. I mean, we still don't know what, um, what the Ferrari upgrades can do. I mean, the car was extremely inconsistent during the Spanish Grand Prix stint to stint for Carlos Sainz. And in particular, I mean, Charles Leclerc was just a, just forget about it. That was just a weekend to forget for sure for him. Um, I think in qualifying, however, I do think there is a chance that Ferrari or Aston Martin can can at least push Red Bull. Is it going to be close at the end of qualifying? I mean, it could. I mean, it could come down to a few tenths. But once we get into to the race, it it all depends on tire degradation, and it's not mm-hmm. super high in Canada. I mean, the surface is really good here, so they bring the softest compound for it. But I, I. I I don't see it being like a 23 second or whatever Verstappen had at the end of Spain. Like, I don't see it being that big. And the thing with Canada is it's as soon as you get one yellow flag or one safety car, usually it leads to like more chaos. And we've had some pretty epic races here uh, at this track. And it's a a track you can pass on. And there are plenty of passing opportunities. Um, I, I do think the race will be exciting. However, the past, I mean, obviously since we like since Azerbaijan, right? The racing hasn't been great. Let's be honest, right? I mean, the midfield race was good in Spain, mm, a little more tactical there. But mm-hmm. once we come into Canada, I think it's, it's either going to be a lot of passing and a great race, or it's going to be a procession. I think it's one, one or the other. Uh, we've seen a lot of processions this year. Yeah. Um, why is, Canada Ferrari country. It just seems to me like obviously there's a huge connection with with England and Great Britain, and there's obviously that that 
that there. Uh, obviously, there is the French uh, province, uh, French uh, influence province, and you'd think maybe that an Alpine. May, I'm they don't have any history, but like uh, generally, there 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 have been um, French teams, French drivers on the grid. Why Ferrari in Canada? Yeah, I think it all starts with uh, with Gilles Villeneuve. In all honesty, yes, I think course. that's where I think that's where it starts. And I think like you have that generation, and then they, they pass it down to their kids, and then they pass it down to their kids, and and so on, so on. It's kind of like you know, uh, for like the New York Yankees, right? Like it's just a it's a generational thing where it's always being passed down. Green Bay Packers, all that kind of stuff. Um, for Ferrari, however, I, I th- th- it's. It's it's an interesting one. I mean, like once Schumacher just started dominating, like some of these Canadian Grand Prix was like seas of red, right? Like everyone was re- yeah. wearing Schumacher gear and Ferrari gear, and it was it was like that's all that anyone really cared about. And then Villeneuve in the bar Honda, and then that was it, right? No one really cared yep. about anything else other than those teams <laughs> for quite a while. Um, and then obviously, like we have. So many, and I don't. There's not a direct comparison, but we have a lot of Ferrari dealerships here in Canada. Like, there's a lot, and whoa. they sell a lot. Hang of, on, whoa, yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah. what am I missing about Canada? Well, man, there's it's a you go out to Vancouver. I mean, I would say Vancouver is probably one of the supercar markets of the world. Like, they have so many uh, supercars being sold there. It's incredible, and same with Ferraris, right? Like, you have Ferraris that you know they. They, they they struggle to try and keep inventory sometimes out in Vancouver. Same here in but Ontario. What is and Canada cooking? Montreal as well. Yeah, yeah, for you sure, man. Like supercars all over the place. Wow. It's uh, it, it's a it's a pretty big deal here. Like it, it's a it's a pretty big deal here. And Ferrari, for some reason, still to this day, just has a stranglehold over the racing world here. It's a, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> wow, I just yeah. didn't know. I didn't know that there were that many. I knew there were rich people in Canada. Your, your Gretzky's, <laughs> your Connor McDavid's. Those are the only ones. That's there's, it. There's two. Well, we Gretzky no lives in Los Angeles. <laughs> I think Gretzky lives in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, wow. Okay. Um, didn't didn't realize that. Um, you know, you mentioned Villeneuve. I mean, obviously second in 1979, won six races. There's something there. It's always amazing to see how like one person can change. Yeah the trajectory of like a fandom. Like I think that the most famous one is that there's the dolphins played the first game in London in 2007 and, and they wanted the dolphins because the, the, the year that the TV started broadcasting NFL football in mass was the year Dan Marino was just slinging the ball over the place. So all these dolphins fans, you know, erupted and like, it's just so, so wild to see one person influence an entire country. Obviously Marino wasn't British, but it's, 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 and it's not one-to-one, but it's, it's amazing to see that kind of influence. All right. Anything else about Canada? We should know is there a, is there a different atmosphere like is it i'm obviously think it's gonna be night and day from miami um but is there a different atmosphere that is, yeah. that is um especially canadian for sure i mean uh, i mean you like you had mentioned with with miami and you were there for that entire week and weekend um and, and you know like it, it wasn't like the entire city of miami shut down right like yeah. it there were pockets of where you could go to a club or where they were doing a formula one event somewhere or something like that with, with Montreal, the entire dude, the entire city like shuts down. There is a party everywhere. They have streets shut down just for partying. Like long, like we're not talking like a mile street. We're talking like streets, blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks closed just for people to drink, dance. There's concerts everywhere downtown. And I always, I always find it difficult to sleep because (laughs) all the hotels are downtown, but it's like everybody is partying everywhere. It's so loud in your room. You just like, you can't sleep sometimes. (laughs) There's some people revving their engines. There's like cyclists, like motorbikes revving their engines outside. Oh my God, man. It's uh, it's a, it's a party atmosphere and you got to check it out for sure. Sometime. Um, yeah, that's great. Last five <laughs> minutes of this pod, I've learned that the entire nation of Canada are Ferrari driving party animals. Mm. It's uh, so I got it. I got a handle on it. That's you, it. You got to check it out, man. Honestly, like uh, next year, you should try and get up here because it's just it's so much fun. Because then you obviously have all of the things that are going on at the racetrack. Um, 
you then have a ton of nightlife happening off of the racetrack and it's always F1 focused. And I remember one year, like I remember one year Ferrari did this huge event that I got invited to. It was awesome. And there was a red carpet. So you walk the red carpet, you know how you get your picture taken sometimes when you're on these like red carpet things. Sure. And so you, you pull up, you walk the red carpet thing and then you stop to get your photos taken. But behind you, was a massive wall that was probably half a story high filled with red roses. The whole thing was red roses, massive, giant, like Ferrari uh, emblem in the middle, all made out of roses. Like it, it was incredible. You got your picture taken there. You went into the party and then the driver showed up. They gave a little speech and then they left. And that's what Montreal is all about when it comes to even the teams coming coming here and having to do off-track commitments there's a there's a lot of off-track commitments here that the drivers and teams have to do as well during during the nighttime during the weekend it's 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 wild dude it's wild tim haraney i learned a lot about canada in the last seven minutes (laughs) thanks for coming on buddy we'll see you soon (laughs) dude thanks for having me this episode is brought to you by armor all when you want the best for your car preparation is everything that's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, Katie George, host of Unlapped with great guy Lawrence and then bad guy Nate Saunders. Um, we hate him here. Our mortal enemy here on the Ringer F1 show. Katie, what's going on, pal? Ugh, not much. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you. Last time I saw you was prowling uh, the paddock in Miami. And there weren't enough chairs for us to be on ESPN together. It was a, it was devastating. It was me and Gary and Spencer Hall, another enemy of the show. And there just wasn't there wasn't a fourth chair. So we couldn't. This is the first time we've created content together. This is the first time. Could you not imagine having a fourth chair or just, I don't know, a third camera to fit four people on one set? Above my pay grade. Hey, listen, the paddock, it, there's no, as Checo says, there's too many, there's not enough room in the paddock. So if they had added an extra camera, there's, there, it would have, all hell would have broken loose. To be fair, guess, I, did, like, I did think Miami did a much better job moving the paddock inside the stadium on the actual Miami Dolphins field. So that that whole area where you walk from, I guess the concourses to the garage yes. was open and it wasn't as packed. I mean, do you remember it in the inaugural year, two years ago? I mean, you couldn't move. It was, it was suffocating with all the celebrities and different people walking through. 
My favorite thing is that all of the drivers complained about there being too many people in the paddock, and their solution was to not in any way reduce the number of people and just make everybody walk more. Yeah. Just like, oh, no, 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 we can't, we can't have farther that. Farther away. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Like, I, someone said this, I think one of the race organizers said this, and I think about all the time, we're basically like the problem with Miami F1 and probably like 10 of the, of the races on the grid is that there are thousands of people who all think they're the most important people mm-hmm. in the world and they need VIP treatment. And in a lot of cases, they've got a good legitimate claim to that. Like if you're, if you're, if you own one of the companies that gives them millions of dollars, like, yes, you should get treatment. And there's like a lot of those people who are around. So I see why the paddock access, it's hard to um, curtail that, I guess. I've never been to Monaco. I imagine it's much the same there. Miami is definitely a to-be-seen kind of event. Can you imagine what Las Vegas is going to be like? I cannot. Are you going, or is it to interfere with college football season? Um, I'm going to put air quotes around. I'm technically <laughs> slated to go, as I was slated to go last year at Dakota. Um, but unfortunately for college football, I was sent to Penn State. That place is in the middle of nowhere. So I could not get a flight on that Sunday morning or late Saturday night after a Saturday night college football game to get to Austin in time for the race. I mean, I could not have gotten worse luck uh, in terms right. of my assignment. So I'm hoping a, a good game nearby Austin, nearby Vegas to make it easy. We'll flood some ESPN executives email after this to Please. get you a West Coast assignment <laughs> so that you can get there. Although it's, it's Saturday night. It's going to be pretty tough. You'd have to get a noon game on the West Coast. I know. I I'm, think I'm worried about you. I'm officially worried about you. You should be. I think I'm going to have to actually take off a football game to be at that one. Austin, I can maybe make work, but we'll see. We'll see how the, the chips fall. Uh, here's a question. I want to dive into the F1 season, but I, I want to ask you first, uh, how does covering F1 compare to covering college football? Because you've interviewed team principals, Gunther mm-hmm. Steiner's been on your show. Obviously, you're tapped in every single week. You've been to these races. Like The difference between covering college football and F1, it is night and day, but how does that show up for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Wow. Hard-hitting stuff here, Kevin. Um, <laughs> I just think that the magnitude of, you know, obviously... College football is so big in the United States. And obviously, they're the fan bases, they live, breathe this like it's their religion. So on Saturday nights, when you're at football stadiums with 70,000 fans, um, if that doesn't get your juices flowing, I don't know what does. But there's a, there's a different kind of um, amp to going to a Formula One race and sitting down with these drivers who are world stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just in the United States, they are stars wherever you look across the globe, because it is such a phenomenal sport. And I think that magnitude, um, you know, really hit me the first time I went to Miami a year ago. Also, I think just the access, right? Like, yes, you have to work through a sports administration director for college football and you get access to the starting quarterback and starting running back and you get to talk to them for 10 minutes, but God mm-hmm. forbid, God forbid you creep into their time any more than that because they've got class and workouts and practice. You get so much time allotted with the head coach. And yes, they are superstars in their own right. But I think the access and understanding that F1 has of what these drivers and team principals do for the sport, do for the marketing of the sport, I think Mm -hmm. has been really eye-opening. And I I wish more sports were like that. Agree. Uh, if you were to meet a, if an alien were to meet a college football coach and meet a te- and then a team principal and were asked which one was like the global superstar who had limited time, they would think that like that the college football coaches because, and the team principal was like the guy who was attached to a public university and it was front facing <laughs> and all that stuff. Because I think a lot of it is that there's, I, I know this is a crazy thing to say for as many egos as there are in a paddock. There's a humility there, A, because they're all near each other all the time. They know the the ebbs and the flows of the season, and you're only as good as your car. You're only as good as your next pit stop, all of that stuff. College football coaches are like de facto governors of their state. Like, they don't see <laughs> any other... They see other coaches... The politicians. Tw- 12 times a year, something like that, where it's like, they'll see them at meetings, and they'll see them on the other sidelines, right? That's it. Like, you don't... Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher don't cross each other every single day. They see each other three times a year at most. Um, and so it's just a different... You're in a bubble in college football that you're not in an F1. You're in the F1 bubble, but that means Christian Order and Toto Wolf are next to each other, whereas Nick Saban would never see Mark Stoops other than in Destin, Florida, every year. Anyway, that's not... Very that's, fair way I, to put it. 
there's there's we do all sorts of football on another show um and we could do that another <laughs> time um let's start here driver's champion and I, i've been asking everybody this because i think everybody's finding mm-hmm. their own it's kind of a choose your own adventure thing with the season now because we know what it looks like and we know who the champion is going to be we know who the constructor's champion is going to be uh you are finding compelling storylines where like what are you watching katie george Everybody but Red Bull, quite frankly. <laughs> um, is that fair? Like, you you know that that's wrapped up. And I hate to say that. And I know a lot of people who have watched, you know, Drive to Survive recently. They're like, well, why am I even watching this? This isn't compelling like everybody said it was because Red Bull is so dominant. Well, mm-hmm. that ebbs and flows throughout this sport. We've seen the dynasties. We've seen, obviously, former teams have incredible success. I'm looking at everybody past that being Mercedes obviously made great strides in Spain. Are we going to see that consistently moving forward? Have they actually found something with this car, the adjustments that they made? So Mercedes, I think, is compelling because they proved as of a weekend or two ago that they're the second fastest car now on the grid. After mm-hmm. that, I'd like to see the consistency from Aston Martin because that, that's been the story this year of just what a turnaround it's been for Aston Martin as an entire team. And obviously with Fernando Alonso at the helm, he didn't seem like himself. I don't know if you felt that way in Spain, which was surprising considering it was a home race. I expected him to show out and be on the podium. And so when he, he wasn't, I thought that that was quite surprising, but also speaks to the expectation that we have for Aston Martin at this point in the season, which is just incredible. Ferrari, can they get it together? I mean, that was the question we were asking ourselves a season ago, all season long, by the way, with, with so much. We've been asking it for 20 years. FYI. Yeah, I mean, I just, so that's, <laughs> that's the frustrating, yeah. passionate love I have for, for that team. I want to see if they are mm-hmm. able to get it together. So those are the three teams that I think I'll constantly be watching a little bit here and there with the rookie drivers. And I think a little bit with McLaren, if they can kind of get rolling in the right direction because it was such a devastating start for that team that we had high hopes for. Yeah, I saw a couple of pundits say that that they thought Fernando was going to be pissed off this weekend because of what happened in Spain. And then I think that the weekend got away from him. I thought he was going to take a ton of risks and kind of have a boomer bust weekend in Spain. It was the exact opposite of that. He was just kind of a passenger all weekend and never really made many moves and, and, and underperformed. And I just didn't see anything from him. And I thought it was going to be kind of a fortune favors the, the brave weekend. I think a lot, so many people had gotten disappointed because everyone circled Monaco as a weekend where a Red Bull could be challenged just because Monaco is a lottery, basically, sure. um, in some cases, is after qualifying. Um, it's a parade, and if you qualify well, <laughs> you can win. Um, and so it's I, then he goes to Spain, and people are saying, okay, is Red Bull going to sweep this, whatever? And just nothing happened for him last week. So I think he's going to be pissed off. I think I expect something from him at some point in the next couple of races. Um, and I think that, you know, as as Aston kind of ebbs and flows with this season and Mercedes starts to make its run with his upgrades, it'll be interesting to see if they prioritize taking chances or just trying to eke out a small win over Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. Or maybe they do both. Because, by the way, Mercedes is currently second by, I believe, something like 17 points. And obviously, I think Mercedes has a real case made in the second half of the season. Um, I was looking at some of the betting odds. The the pundits really, the the uh, the, the odds makers really like Mercedes, especially as the season goes along. I'm intrigued to see the battle between those second and and third teams. Um, speaking of mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton's contract, uh, is apparently uh, a what a coffee away. That's what they said. Allegedly, um, said a couple yeah a couple weeks ago. They're just going to sit over coffee. Nothing. One thing I like about Toto Wolf, nothing is ever a big deal. Nothing is the only time there was ever a big deal was when it was when it was uh, when he was radioing Michael Massey <laughs> eighteen months ago. That was the first big deal in Toto's no, Michael. life. And and for so to see that ass, well, I guess post race last race, I, my, my time my timetables are all screwed up, but by Nico Rosberg and Toto just says we're going to sit down with coffee and we're just gonna we're gonna have at it. Um, it seems to me like. There could be more going into it. Obviously, there's tens upon millions of dollars that, uh, that that are associated with that, and you can sort of pay to make those negotiations easier. Um, but here's my question. It's heading towards an obvious renewal, but if you were Lewis Hamilton, would you resign in such an easy manner? 
I think that I would, right? I think that they have such a great partnership that if they are, in fact, a coffee away, um, that should be an easy conversation. I think that what it boils down to is they've been working on this for quite some time, right? Since Azerbaijan, they started their conversations about this new contract. The money, as you mentioned, um, is certainly, I think, a sticking point or at least a little bit of an uncomfortable point of conversation that they have to have over that said coffee. Then also, I think it comes down to the number of years this contract is going to be for because it seems as if Lewis and Lewis's camp would like more than one year deals. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants, he has you know no point at this point of stopping physically, mentally, emotionally. He feels like he is invested enough to continue on in this sport and can win an eighth world championship. So he's clearly motivated to do that. I think Mercedes, even though we were all shocked by the step back a season ago based on their concept that they had with the zero pods, side pods. I think that Mercedes is still going to do everything in their power to put a car on track to allow Lewis Hamilton to accomplish something that's never been done before. And I think Lewis Mm -hmm. recognizes that in Toto Wolf and the team. Now, are they going to be able to compete here at the end of the season? Maybe not, but hopefully they learn from their past mistakes from a year ago. They're learning from the improvements that they've made with these upgrades that they've tacked on, and then they'll be in a better position in 2024. If I'm Lewis Hamilton, I'm looking at the alternate options, right? Red Bull clearly Mm -hmm. is not an option. Ferrari was rumored to be an option. Yes, I think a lot of drivers and even team principals, and I think we'll get into this with the rumors about Christian Horner possibly having left Red Bull for for Ferrari. I think a lot of these guys romanticize Ferrari and the team that it is and what it stands for and want to be the, the guy that brings a championship back to Ferrari. But I don't think that they're in a position to get Lewis Hamilton in a car that's going to allow him to win that eighth. Aston Martin is clearly competitive, but you've got a billionaire whose son is the other driver next to Mm -hmm. Fernando Alonso. And will he ever part ways with his son? I don't know. Maybe he will. Lance Stroll obviously performed much better in Spain and we were all expecting that, needing to see that from him. So that's obviously good to see if you're a Stroll. I don't see an alternative landing spot that's going to get them close enough to contending with a Red Bull other than at Mercedes. And so I think that they iron out this deal and, um, you know, we see Lewis Hamilton in a a black car moving forward. So I agree. I just, the the one point you made, which is the long and the short of it is where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? He's not going to go to Red Bull. He, for the Ferrari thing, I mean, if you're frustrated by the lack of development and some of the mistakes at Mercedes, wait till you get to Ferrari, pal. Um, (laughs) Aston is still too much of a project. I would still bet on two things. Number one is that the Mercedes team has done it before. They'll do it again. They still Mm -hmm. do have talented people. They did build the best car of the previous era. There's, there's some evidence that they can do that again. They made one mistake that set them back 18 months. And, and I, I do believe at some point they'll fix that. Toto did not get his reputation on accident. Um, it, the Ferrari thing reminds me a little bit of not to do the college football thing again, but if you remember, Urban Meyer used to say that Notre Dame was his dream job, even when he was at Florida. And even mm-hmm. I think when he was at Ohio state and, uh, Urban Meyer, by the way, uh, <laughs> used, to, used to not be disgraced. Um, he used to be a very good football coach. And, but you say that stuff almost because a of nostalgia and b because you're just not mm-hmm. going to go you're going to go to florida and ohio state because that's where the players are and that's where the resources are and that's where you can win you say you want to be in a ferrari until it comes time to be in the ferrari and you go oh, wait i actually want to go where it's most advantageous to me where the money is most where i'm gonna where the team is set up for me i mean like that's one of the things that people have talked about now in the last decade where it's become more about a team being built around one driver and the project being built around one driver than it was maybe in the nineties and eighties where there was more, it was a little more haphazard. Um, it was yeah. a little more just like, okay, we, we got these two guys. They're going to, they're going to go around the track. We'll see how it goes. Like mm-hmm. it's more thought out. It's a little more of like a professional, like a team sport, um, type of mentality where it's like, hey, we've got this guy for three years. What are we going to do with this? Um, and so I think that's, that's changed quite a bit. If I'm Lewis, I, I, I asked for a ton of money because it's not the same team that it Without was two him. years ago. Um, well, yeah, but also like it, it, you used to, if there was any semblance of like, I'm going to take a home, not that you would ever take a hometown discount, but like you don't have to, you, you don't, 
I, I feel like you could take a little bit less or or not drive as hard a bargain when they're guaranteeing the championships. That's not the case mm. anymore. You're gonna no. need yesterday's price is not today's price. And and when you're saying, hey, by the way, come in our car, we're gonna fight Aston for second place in constructor championship, that's a different monetary value. It's like anything. If you're if you're going to a company that is not if you were if you're anchoring the nightly news on a network and then they're like, oh, by the way, we're moving you to cable like you would ask for more money. Like that's the equivalent of what of what happened to the Mercedes car in the last two years. I think that's fair. And I, I would also say a couple of minor things that would be in play or something he would consider. You know, he is so focused on his charitable works outside of formula one. He's got ignite. He's got, I believe mission 44, which Mercedes has contributed to both of those. He is changing the sport, changing. He is is changing the sport. Mercedes is obviously hand in hand walking with him in these endeavors. They're helping him. They're supporting him. Not that another team wouldn't do that. I, I think that they would, but Mercedes understands that yes, his priority is to be the best driver on the grid, but he also has other priorities that he's extremely passionate about. And they accept that. Also something to consider, you know, Ferrari, they stick to the status quo, right? They are very tight in terms Mm -hmm. of what they allow as a media member uh, to get out of them from a driver Mm -hmm. standpoint, from a team principal standpoint. I mean, from you've been around them. Their PR team is, is a bit scary, right? Because they want everything locked down and run through them. Lewis Hamilton has a lot of thoughts and opinions on a variety of different things. You can't control or try to sway or curtail somebody like Lewis Hamilton from saying what he believes. And that's Mm -hmm. not something that we've seen from a Ferrari driver um, since probably Seb, right? And so that's something... I don't think that he aligns with Ferrari in terms of what he stands for currently. I am a complete agreement with you. Also, there's just a different level of media mania around Ferrari that you really just don't want to deal with with. i mean there's just a lot there's (laughs) just a lot um all right so let's get to the next topic so this had come out in the winter time and i mean i i think everybody talks to everybody in 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 f1 as far as hey would you want to join this team would you want to join that team like my guess is you know, Haas checks in with some of the top drivers <laughs> just to make sure. I mean, there's, there's only so many people in F1 just to make sure that you don't want to come. Um, but it came out that Ferrari was interested in, in hiring Christian Horner. And then in the last couple of weeks, it came out that Helmut Marko said that it cost them millions when Ferrari made an approach last year, which, by the way, was at this time last year at the Canadian Grand Prix. Here's the question. Would Ferrari have been saved by Christian Horner. Would this even have mattered? Oh, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that, I don't know, saved is a really strong word based on what we've seen in the past. I think they would certainly be better off and I think that they would be a step closer to winning a championship with Christian Horner at the helm. I think he is an incredible team leader, an incredible shrewd businessman. He understands certainly what it takes top to bottom within an organization to be successful. He understands that you have to have an unbelievably talented driver to be able to win championships. Um, I also think that Ferrari is really helping um, certain people on the grid negotiate with their current employers because it clearly helped Christian Horner and it's likely going to help Lewis Hamilton if he resigns with Mercedes. But it's like watching somebody who you've always seen in the same uniform, right? When Tom Mm -hmm. Brady left the Patriots and you saw him for the first time in a Buccaneers jersey, that was jarring, right? Watching Aaron Rodgers run out as a New York Jet (laughs) in the coming fall is going to be weird as hell. It looks like AI. It honestly looks like AI. There's no world where that makes sense from what we've known. Seeing Christian Horner in... Ferrari red head to toe instead of his navy blue threads right now, that would be so bizarre because he was at the ground floor, right? Dietrich Mataziewicz was the one who said, I want this guy to start and create Red Bull Racing. And so he's been at the ground floor and yes, he's won championships and he's going to win more championships, clearly. I wonder at what point he says, I've done enough for Red Bull or I've done enough for the sport and he walks away. Or does he say, I've done enough for Red Bull. You know what? And let me go see 
as I mentioned, everybody romanticizes Ferrari. Let me go see what I can do at Ferrari. I would, it would be a great storyline for the sport. I would absolutely be fascinated and I would love to see it. Um, because I think that he could be great for Ferrari. I truly do. Only way it works is to pay Adrian Newey to come to. Because I think Christian Horner is smart enough not to go anywhere without the greatest car designer of all time. And you get into a situation where he's being, like, as Harmon Marker said, it cost him millions to keep Horner. He's mm-hmm. being paid handsomely. He beats everybody's brakes off. I don't think he wants to go grind. Like, he really likes having that shit-eating <laughs> grin on his face when he's sitting next to Toto and he knows he has the upper hand. He doesn't want to grind. Even if it, even, like, what is the monetary value in wiping that grin off of his face? It is incalculable to me. Fair question, because it would be an absolute grind. And your point about Nui is well taken because Ferrari, apparently, we're talking about a conversation that took place a year ago, almost on this weekend at the Canadian Grand Prix. Apparently, Ferrari tried to entice Nui to leave 10 years prior to that. Yep. So clearly, Ferrari recognizes talent and they recognize people who are, are game changers for their organizations. But I agree, if Christian Horner were to ever leave, I think he would want to be in lockstep with Adrian Nui. Uh, Yes. Like, don't, this is my advice to you, Christian Horner. Do not leave. It's like Brady Belichick, right? Just don't, don't, let's not find out who's responsible for what. You know, if you're Bill Belichick, wouldn't you wish you just kept on Tom Brady and we didn't have to do an extra two years of that torture? And, and just something to keep in mind, the Navy compliments his ginger hair very, very well. A lot of red with some ginger and fair skin. I don't know what that look is going to be like. That's tough. That's a right? good idea. That's a good thought. A lot of red. Could probably use AI to, to manage that. There's probably some photoshops just floating around. And currently look it looks like. great on all these dark-headed, dark-complected yeah. men. All right. That's something to watch. That needs to be baked into the next Ferrari approach contract, like an extra Think couple about more, because it. It, might, it might look a little worse. Um, just something to consider. All right. <laughs> um, when, where, where do you want the first non-Red Bull win to come? And why? Sell us on a dream scenario for a first non-Red Bull win. Well, I think when you look at the impeding, impending dates coming up, Silverstone is, is the one that I would circle because you have a lot of British drivers on the grid. Clearly, you would love to see a Mercedes win mm-hmm. at the Great Britain Grand Prix um, with Lewis Hamilton or George Russell, for that matter, if Mercedes does continue to make strides with the car. Um, over these next couple of weekends, I think we have Montreal and then we have the Austrian Grand Prix and then they go to Silverstone on July 9th. That would be like the first one that I would circle that I would love to see a a Mm -hmm. non-Red Bull victory. After that, if Ferrari could get their shit, can I say that? You can say it on here, yes. The ESPN executives who are in charge (laughs) of scheduling your West Coast noon game in November maybe just heard that though and they're going to ding you. But yeah, Yeah. you can curse as much as you want here. I'll take the ding. I would say Monza at the beginning of September. I would love to see Ferrari do well at Monza, um, but I've held out hope for far too long. So I'm not going to obviously get my hopes up there. (laughs) I think think if you were to go further even down into the the schedule or the calendar, Brazil, I think is such an incredible race. Brazil would be one that I'd love to see a a non-Red Bull win. Also, Lewis's relationship with Brazil is such that that would be, it wouldn't be a home race, but it would be something something close to it. Um, All right. So first of all, I do think that we talked to Tim Haraney also in this episode, he works with TSN up in Canada. And he was saying that Aston has really been embraced by Canada. And so if Fernando in an Aston Martin that is essentially a Canadian car now with the strolls, don't think Lance is going to do it. Don't think that's a great option for, <laughs> for a non-Red Bull win. But I do think that Canada has some momentum with this and they have a great history with F1. So I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like you said, Silverstone, I mean, maybe it dovetails. I mean, listen, like I think there was at a stone for all of this, the fact that Max Verstappen kept being asked about upgrades in Miami and say, like, Oh, are you scared? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we're going to upgrade too. So like relax. Yeah. And so maybe this is wishful thinking, but is it possible that the Mercedes upgrades dovetail in such a way that by the time Silverstone comes around um, in three races time, that they're a legitimate contender for on a weekend, on a weekend, not a month, but a weekend. Um, 
I mean, I'm just, I, I agree. I, I wish some, I wish there was a fairy tale possible for Monza. I just don't see it. No. Um, and then uh, Logan Sargent will win in uh, Austin. So it'll be great. Fat chance. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or Vegas. Maybe he'll be good enough by Vegas. Maybe he'll, maybe be, you'll, maybe you'll, he'll land, be good enough. You'll be landing. You can you kind of see the strip from the airport. And so you'll yeah. be kind of landing coming in from uh, Husky Stadium in Washington. Yeah. Wherever, wherever, whatever it is you are at noon. I guess you couldn't do a West Coast game at noon. Um, but wherever it is, you'll see, you'll see his win crossing the finish line. Um, all right. Uh, let's do the last, last, last uh, topic here. How long is the leash for the worst drivers on the grid? Speaking of Logan Sargent, speaking mm. of, I mean, let's add in Nick DeVries here, a couple of that. Yeah. Is there a chance in your mind that in the next couple of races, we might start to hear actual rumors instead of Daniel Ricciardo is being fitted for a helmet? <laughs> By the way, I actual? love that the, the reaction to the Daniel Ricciardo being fitted to the helmet rumor was just Daniel Ricciardo signing with ESPN. Yeah, I, that one was easy to debunk pretty quickly as well, because also we were what five races in and helmet Marco was allegedly saying that Nick DeVries was on the chopping block. Like, come on, this, he's just getting his feet wet. He's just feeling himself out on the grid, getting to know the, the other drivers certainly and their tendencies and also getting used to his own car. Like Mm -hmm. it is a drastic difference from where these guys are coming from once they enter formula one. And so I, I thought that that was a little unfair um, to call out Nick DeVries so early on in his Formula One um, career. Now, I think it's fair and warranted and a little kick in the butt isn't a bad thing, right? To kind of light a fire under moving forward. But where Nick DeVries has struggled, I think nobody compares to what Logan Sargent has has done so far this season. And, and to me, it's, I don't want to say upsetting, maybe disappointing is kind of the word because yes, I know that the Williams doesn't compare to a Red Bull or a Mercedes Mm -hmm. or Ferrari or Aston for that matter. But George Russell was able to bring out the most in that car when he was at Williams and ultimately Mm -hmm. it landed him a spot at Mercedes and look what he's been able to do since then. So clearly if you are a great driver, you are still able to make that car look better than it actually is. And we haven't seen that from Logan Sargent yet. Something that I also think is a bit frustrating with Logan Sargent, and I'm not asking him to be Daniel Ricardo because there is no other Daniel Ricardo from a personality standpoint that's truly authentic to themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you're not adding value on the track right now with your drives, with points, finishes, you have to be adding value elsewhere, right? And and when Daniel Ricardo was tanking and, and was in a horrible place from a driving standpoint. He still brought monetary value to McLaren because he is such a marketable person, marketable personality and brand, right? Mm-hmm. So they could they could argue we have to keep this guy for what he brings to the table even though it's not great driving at the moment. Logan Sargent being the only American driver on the grid, I think is is leaving our entire market, our entire country untapped because he's not He's not taking advantage of being the only American driver right now. And and I I don't want to say that he has a bad personality. He's a very nice guy. He's a young guy. (laughs) I think he'll find his own way, right? They all do as they mature, they get older, they find their voice. But if you're not going to perform on the weekend, Mm -hmm. you have to be a media darling or at least savvy enough with the media. And he hasn't done that thus far. And I think that that's a miss. Katie George has Logan Sargent went down the entire country with his bad personality. (laughs) That's what just happened. Um, I will say this. It's a tragedy that Colton Herta did, did not get the super license points because mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about him, but his nickname Personable. was Hooligan, Hooligan Herta is his nickname. Lando Norris gave it to him because of his approach to high-speed corners. Like, even, okay, even if you can't, uh, he is personable. Hey, he was in the paddock in Miami for a couple of days there. But beyond that, even if you can't draw people with your personality, which he, he can, I think, you have to draw it with your racing. And I don't necessarily mean that he has to win every race. I mean, just have a aesthetically pleasing brand of racing where you're taking chances, yeah. taking risks, taking passes, all that stuff. Like Logan Sargent has showed us nothing. And if you're if 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 Herda comes in next year or the year after or whatever, I think we're gonna see the 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 prince that was promised as far as just American marketability. I don't know if he's going to go up and challenge the top six or whatever, but I, I do think that there's going to be at least something there where we're going to be able to rally around it. Give Americans something to rally around. I was hopeful to see that with Logan Sargent 
as he entered the grid. I was hopeful maybe just like, as you said, you don't have to win. You don't have to be fighting for podiums, just fight for points. And I was hoping in Miami, Logan Sargent, I mean, he grew up racing like 30 minutes from Hard Rock. You thought what better opportunity to really show something. And, and I thought his performance fell flat. Can't do it. He couldn't do it. Katie George, thank you so much for having you on again. This was so awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.